Well, good morning. You're the early service. You're going to be out of church by like 9.15. You're going to beat everybody else to the buffet line. And you're going to have whatever you want before you. Is that why you come here? Yes, that is. By the time your neighbors are leaving for church, you're waving at them as you're coming home. Isn't that amazing? Well, it's good to see you. Uh, we just had a baby boy. His name's Axel, and um, he's about two weeks old. He's our third. We've got a Camden that's a little girl that's three. We've got a Brody. I call him Bro. And uh, you got to have a Bro. And he's, um, I don't know, he's like one now. And uh, anyway, they're, they're up all night. So if I fall asleep in the middle of my sermon, you'll, you'll know why. Uh, we have a, a, a two-week-old, a one, and a three-year-old. So it's an exciting time for our life. And my, my, my family's going to be here uh, later this, this morning. You know, when I became a Christian at age 16, um, something happened. I, I was looking around, and I was like, okay, what is it that Christians do? Because I want to be a good Christian. I want to be discipled, right? I mean, that's what we want. And as I looked around, I noticed that uh, all my Christian friends did three things. And this, to me, showed that they were Christian. And I was like, man, if I want to be a good Christian, I, too, need to do these three things. The first thing that they all did was they, they wore Christian T-shirts. And I thought that was the coolest thing. I was like, man, I want to be a godly person. I want to wear T-shirts with verses on them. So I went to the Christian bookstore and I bought Christian T-shirts. The second thing I noticed that all my Christian friends did, they listened to Christian music. So I'm like, okay, I guess I need to throw away my secular albums and buy Amy Grant. And so that's what I did. And though it was embarrassing, I thought, man, if you deny her, she'll deny you. So I didn't want that. So, you know, here I am rocking out to Baby Baby, um, which is kind of secular, you know, but we'll get into that later. Um, so the third thing I saw that every Christian did was every Christian put one of those silver ichthus fish-looking things. You've seen those on the back of their car? And I was like, man, this is awesome. I want to put one on both bumpers. You know, just the, no matter which way I turn in the gospel would be clearly presented. And so that's, that was my spiritual journey. And I know right now you're saying, oh, my gosh, this guy was solid. I know. I know. And I'm, I'm saying back to you, you're right. I was. I was what you would term a solid believer. Why? Because I was wearing the Christian shirt, I was listening to the Christian music, and I was showing it on the Christian car. Go to college. Get in a Bible study. The first Bible study that I get in, this guy lays out a map of the world. And he says, pick a country. We're going to pray for it. I thought, you're weird. Who does that? Nobody. Okay? Nobody. He said, pick a country, pray for it. So I said, okay. I went first. I said, America. He said, corner market on America. And uh, he said, no, pick somewhere else far away. So I'm like, okay, Canada. He's like, no, pick somewhere really far away. So I don't know why I did it. But I looked down in the middle of the map, right in the middle, Saudi Arabia. It was huge. I mean, you know, it's like this big on a map. Okay? So here I am. And I start praying for Saudi. And here's how it went. Lord, do something there. Amen. Why? Because let me share with you my vast knowledge of Saudi Arabia. I was capital clueless. I had no idea. 
He says to me, hey, next week when you come back, I want you to find out how many Christians, Muslims, mosques, and churches are in Saudi Arabia. And I want you to spend the next seven weeks praying for Saudi Arabia. I'm like, nobody does this. Nobody. Look, I have a Christian t-shirt on. I'm okay. Listen, it's Amy Grant. I'm doing fine. So, seven weeks later, something interesting happened. I felt the Lord wanted me to go to the Muslim world. I felt like he wanted me to go to Saudi Arabia. And this posed a major problem. Because here I am, and I said to the Lord, Lord, you know, I've Christianized my life. I'm doing all the right things. I'm wearing the right thing. I'm listening to the right thing. I'm, I'm, I'm around the right people. I'm reading the right things. Man, I'm good. There's other people you should be going after. I have Christianized my life. And it was as if the Lord said to me, Todd, I'm not interested in you Christianizing your life, but crucifying your life. That you have been crucified with Christ and you no longer live. Your passions, your dreams, your desires, all those things you wanted to do before me, you crucify them. And now you take up my desire, my passion, my dream. You know, we do a really good job, don't we, of Christianizing our life. We do a really good job. And, and I think it, it really is a Western Christianity thing as I travel the, the world and I, I talk to people. It really is kind of this Western Christianity thing. When you look at it, you say, name the culture. Name the culture on the planet that can go to church, have, have you know, Read their Bible, go to Bible studies, do all these great things, but at the same time, hold on to what they want to do. Name the culture that can have heaven and earth. Name the culture that can seek after their dreams and desires and go to church, and everybody calls them spiritual. And it really is. You kind of go, man, that's a Western Christianity phenomenon that says, how does this happen? How can you raise up people who say yes to God? But then they say no to him as Lord. And so what we want to do this morning is this. What we want to do is we want to ask that question. Have you Christianized your life or have you crucified your life? What would the difference look like between the two? Can you tell the difference? And then we just want to say, man, from Genesis to Revelation, what is God doing? What is he doing? Because we have to know his story if we're going to jump in it. If we're going to say no to our story, we've got to say yes to something. We've got to say yes to his story. So we just want to say, God, what are you doing? We're going to start in Genesis. And we're going to walk through his story and see how our life can be crucified to him. Genesis chapter 1 is where we start. God blessed them and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth. There's two people on the planet, Adam and Eve. And God says, fill the earth. I want you to populate physically because this will mean you'll populate spiritually. And as the waters covered the earth, so the knowledge of me. God wanted Adam and Eve to fill the earth with worshipers of him. Well, if you grew up in church, you know that in Genesis chapter 6, man sins. In Genesis chapter 3 and 6, man sins. Genesis chapter 7 and 8, God floods the earth because it says every inclination of man's heart was bent towards evil. He floods the earth. One family steps off the ark. And look at what God says. 
And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth. There it is again. Genesis 1, fill the earth. Genesis 9, verse 1, fill the earth. Genesis 9, verse 4, fill the earth. You start seeing this thing, man, God really wants the earth filled. So how does he get it? Keep reading. Now, the whole earth had one language and a common speech. Genesis chapter 11, no matter where you went on planet earth, there was only one language. No matter where you went, only English. I just think that's cool. And as men moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar, and they settled there. Fill the earth, fill the earth, fill the earth. <laughs> Have you seen Shinar, though? <laughs> this is awesome. I just really want to settle here. And they disobey God. And they say, here's what we're going to do. Let's make a name not for God, but for ourselves. Let's make a name for ourselves and a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may, may, may not be scattered on the face of the whole earth. Let us make a name for ourselves and not be scattered. That's direct disobedience. God says, fill the earth, fill the earth, fill the earth. Mankind, no thanks. So God comes down. What does he do? He confuses their language so they'll not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth and they stopped building a city. Genesis chapter 11 is a pivotal point in Scripture. In Genesis chapter 11, we go from one language where everybody only spoke English to now we go to 70 distinct languages. This is where we get all the languages of the world in Genesis 11. This is where we get French, Mandarin, Spanish, rap. It all comes from right here in Genesis chapter 11. Today on planet Earth, there's 6,912 languages. So when God scattered the nations, he did a really nice job. Now, how is God going to reach these different nations? It's one thing for my wife and I to fly to Papua New Guinea, learn the yeast language, and translate just the New Testament. That would take 14 years. Imagine doing that with 70 languages. Imagine doing that with 6,912 languages. How is God going to reach the nations? This is what's incredible about the book in your lap. It's one book. Genesis 1 through 11 is just the introduction. Genesis 12, the next chapter, starts the plot that will run all the way to Revelation. And here's the plot. Are you ready? Though the nations are scattered in Genesis 11, God will use man to regather them for his glory. And he looks down and he picks one man from the 70 languages. And he said to that one man, Abe, guess what? Leave. Leave your country, your people, your father's household and go to the land I will show you. Does anybody else think that's completely rude? Abraham's not looking to leave. He lives in Ur, right? Friendly place, easy to spell. Where are you from? Texarkana. You? Ur? Dude, that is sweet. He's from Ur. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I'll make your name great. Abraham, if you trust me, if you trade up your story for my story, here's what you're going to get. I'm going to make you great. I'm going to make your name great. You're going to be a blessing. All those who bless you, I will bless. All those who curse you, the wrath will rain down on them. But here it is. Here it is, Abe. The reason I am reaching out to you, bringing you to my kingdom, is not for you. It's so that all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. 
all peoples. Get used to hearing God say that. He's only going to repeat it 1,600 more times. <laughs> he just said that's impossible. You can't miss it 1,600 times. What is he thinking? He really did. 1,600? I thought missions was a one-verse wonder that Jesus almost forgot as he ascended to the Father. Go ye. Now, it starts in Genesis 12 with Abraham stepping out. Look at the second time it's mentioned. Isaac, I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and give them all these lands. So your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed. Just like your father Abraham, you, Isaac, all nations will be blessed through you. Jacob, guess what? Your descendants are going to be as numerous as the stars in the sky. You will spread out to the west, to the east, to the north, to the south. Why? Here it is again. Just like your father Isaac and your father's father Abram, all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you. God blesses us so that we can bless others. So a friend of mine calls me up and he's like, Todd, um, I've got a Bible study in Tulsa, Oklahoma, 12 businessmen, and we're studying the book of Matthew. And we came across this thing in Matthew 28 called the Great Commission. And these businessmen are like, man, if a good commission is 10%, think of what a great commission is going to be. So they pump. We want to learn about this great commission. So Matt brought me in. I get there. I get to the Bible study. And he's like, Todd's going to speak on the great commission. I start in Genesis 12. And I just I show him. I said, God wants to bless Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David, Solomon. And, and I just start unrolling how God wants to bless these people so that all nations will be blessed. And Matt stops me and he says this. He says, Todd, he says, when you use the word bless in the context of the Old Testament, what does that mean? I mean, what does it mean that God blessed Abraham, blessed Isaac, blessed Jacob? And I said, Matt, great question. When God wants to bless these men in the Old Testament, look out for these things. An increase of land, family, finances, and a great name. Land, family, finances, and a great name. Abraham, I'm going to give you the land between the Nile and the Euphrates. Abraham, I'm going to make your name great. Abraham, go out to the dust of the sand of the Mediterranean. Let it fall through your fingers. That will be your children. And Abraham, I'm going to give you riches. Do not take anything from the kings when you enter the land, lest they say it fell from their hands. So Matt's looking at me. He's like, land, my house, my yard, my fence, my roof, family, my two boys, raising them in a good, godly home, finances, putting food on the table, money back for college, money back for retirement. He's like a great name. What motivates me to go to work every day? And Matt looks up from the table and says, Todd, it's an 80-hour work week just to manage my blessings. Like, I don't have time to pass them on to nations. I'm too busy not drowning in my own blessings. He says, maybe the problem with the church today is that we've taken God's blessing and all we're doing is managing them. Instead of saying, Lord, thank you for land, family, time, education, innovation, the language of English that the world wants to know. I want to take these and I want to push them back to you reach the nations. Instead, what do we do? 
I go to cell group. I go to community group. I go to first service. I'm committed. These blessings, man, Lord, (laughs) I'm going to put them about right here. And if you're not careful, the blessings you're holding will really be holding you. Instead of saying, Lord, I want to throw deep with what you've given me to reach the nations. Not my story. Not just putting on the veneer of the Christian life. I have taught you these decrees and laws as the Lord my God commanded me. Observe them carefully, for this will show your wisdom and understanding to the nations. All throughout the Old Testament, this theme of God blessing the nation of Israel so that they would bless all nations. God blessing the nation of Israel, not for Israel, that they would bless all nations. I will gain glory for myself, Pharaoh, through you. Why? I want the whole world to know that there is a God of Israel. I will gain glory for myself, Pharaoh, and the Egyptians will know. I am interested in getting the Israelites out of Egypt and into the promised land, but I don't want to forsake the Egyptians. I want them to know. What about this one? Solomon and his wisdom. Why did God give Solomon wisdom? King Solomon was greater in riches and wisdom than all the other kings of the earth. The whole world sought audience with Solomon. The whole world sought audience with Solomon to hear the wisdom God had put in his heart. And what did Solomon tell him? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Are you seeing a theme? God blesses Israel. God blesses Israel to bless the nations. This one. Who can finish this verse? Be still and... One more time. Be still and know that I am God. Yeah, this is an amazing passage in in Psalms. And I was walking through the Christian bookstore and and I don't know, and we... I grew up in Tulsa, and, and anybody ever heard of that? It's, a, it's in the U.S. Um, I grew up in Tulsa, and they've got these Christian bookstores that are like the size of Targets, except you have to be a Christian to go in. It's really cool. And I didn't, like, have my ID on me or anything, but I walked in, just beelined it. I kind of know the guy, so I got in. And um, I walked through, and you can buy all kinds of cool stuff. You can buy a Christian printer, you know, as opposed to a non-Christian printer. You can buy... Um, Jesus bobblehead figurines. You can buy uh, Christian plants as opposed. I don't know if you. I would suppose the non-Christian plants. Uh, there is a difference. People say there's no difference. There is. Uh, I've got both, and Christian plants don't die of sin. So that's all I'm saying. Um, and you can buy a Christian picture. You're like Christian picture. What's the difference between a Christian picture and a non-Christian picture? Great question. I'm asked that quite a bit. A Christian picture has a verse on it. A non-Christian picture does not. Just saying, that's the definition. So I walk over to the Christian pictures and I look at this one that caught my eye. And it had this guy fishing. It had the tackle box. It had a deer, sun rising. I mean, it was awesome. You know, it was like, wow. And underneath it, in like 46 font, gold calligraphy, it said, be still and know that I am God, dot, 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 Psalms 46.10. And I'm looking at this passage and I'm like, wait a minute. Dot, dot, dot means that's not the end of the verse. I'm like, what does the second half of Psalms 46.10 say that's so bad that we can't put it on the picture? I mean, what does it say? And Judas found a rope and hung himself? You know, I mean, how bad is this second half? To where we're like, man, the first half is so wonderful, so beautiful. We're going to put it on bowling balls and crochet it on lamps. 
But man, the second half we can't use. So I went over to the Christian Bible section, looked up Psalms 46.10, because I wanted to see how bad is it that I didn't memorize the second half. I didn't even know there was a second half. I was sold on the first half. What is so bad that it doesn't make the verse? What is so bad that it doesn't make our preaching? What is so bad that it doesn't make the inscription on the bowling ball? I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. You see what we've done as a Christian culture? We've said, I like this verse a lot, but I like the first half. So what I'm going to do is memorize, meditate, and underline the first half. The second half is yours. I'm going to give that to you. I take the first half. But on some verses, I take the second half. For example, go therefore into all nations, baptizing them. That's yours. I claim the second half. He'll be with me always. Yours, see, so in this one it's a little tricky. Yours is the first Mine is the second. Mine is the first. Yours is the second. And we've almost got it down to like a ringtone. We know which verses we want. We know which verses we like. They flow with our story. Welcome to American Christianity. It's amazing, isn't it? That's why I think I like this church so much. It's because your pastor's like, hey man, I'm not going to be here this Sunday. Oh, going on an all-inclusive cruise? That's normally when I get the pulpit. At, you know, at most churches, when the staff's out of town, he's like, oh man, no, I'm going to doing some research in Asia. Because this is his DNA. May God be gracious to us and bless us and cause His face to shine upon us. I like that half. That'll be my half. Can that be my half? You take the second half. Is that okay? We'll trade up. This is my half. This is your half. My half. Your half. May God be gracious to us and bless us and cause His face to shine upon us, but it's not for us. Who's it for? That your ways, O Lord may be known on earth. Your salvation among all nations. It is too small a thing for you to be my servant, to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel. I will make you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. O Lord, my strength, my fortress, to you the nations will come and say our fathers possess nothing but false gods, worthless idols that did them no good. To you the nations will come and say our fathers gave us nothing but Hinduism. 330 million deities, but not one of them gets me through the narrow door. To you the nations will come and say our fathers possess nothing but false idols. So how did the nation of Israel do as they got God's blessing? How did they do? Did they pass it on to the nations? Did they say, yes, Lord, we are just a filter from you to the planet? Think about what God gave them. If you just take a yellow highlighter and you read from Genesis to Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament, and all you do is highlight how God blessed the nation of Israel. What would you find? Let me give you a short list. 
God gave Israel land, family, finances, a great name, the prophets, the priests, the kings. He gave them the temple, the law, his spirit, his presence, his protection. He gave them the hymns. He gave them everything they needed to pass on his name to the nations. But how does God summarize how Israel responded? Wherever they went among the nations, they profaned my holy name. For it was said of them, these are the Lord's people. Yet they had to leave the land. I had concern for my holy name, which the house of Israel profaned among the nations. What we all know in this room is this. There is something intrinsically difficult about when God blesses you giving it back to him. I spent nine years of my life speaking on 460 colleges, just living in a minivan down by the river, and we would just travel, and we would speak to college students. And then something happened. As I'm standing up at University of North Dakota, and I'm telling these 250 students, you live in North Dakota. Go to the nations, okay? You're good for that. And I'm challenging them, and they're giving me excuses. Oh, I can't. My parents, my debt, my AT&T, iPhone bill, you know. And they're nailing me with different good excuses, you know. My pet, my pet cat, you know. And I'm looking at them going, I don't care. Press in. You need to go. You need to go to the nations. Use your engineering degree. Go to the Gulf. Minister, church plant. And something happened to me about three years ago. I had a baby girl. Okay? Not me personally. My wife. We had a baby girl. We, plural. We had a baby girl. And I'm looking at this little girl. And all of a sudden, echoing in the back of my mind is these like 9,220 sermons about how, man, go, go, go. And I'm looking at this little girl and I said, Lord, I challenge others, students to go so that mine doesn't have to. I said, Lord... This is going to be so difficult. The day she comes to me and says, hey, I want to, want, I want to work in, uh, in Thailand. So, Lord, I just pray she'd just kind of want to be a night manager at Chick-fil-A. And um, never work Sundays. I get free nuggets. She can dress up as the cow if she wants. I pray she meets a godly man in our cul-de-sac and moves next door. And, like, something weird happened. You know what I'm saying? And you know how it feels. It's like, oh, my gosh, this bonus check. I tell everybody to do their bonus check, but me, no. You know? Oh, my goodness, my child, my little girl, my grandchild. Oh, my goodness, vacation time. Oh, my goodness, you name it. And all of a sudden, we start going, what are you doing? No. No. This is off limits. You get Sunday morning, Wednesday nights, and set up. That's it, okay? Like, that's, what's your problem? You know, I'll go to the neighbor, you know, love thy neighborhood. There, we're even. Fine. You got me. An extra activity. But you're not sending my high school kid to Indonesia. No. Sorry. It's my blessing. You follow me? very difficult. And I stand up here telling you, it's very difficult. When you transition to the New Testament, what you should see is nothing different. 
What God began in Genesis 12, he moves through all the way to Revelation. There's only three things found in all four Gospels. Okay, the virgin birth, that's pretty important, but that's only found in Matthew and Luke. Mark and John do not tell the story of the virgin birth. The transfiguration of Jesus taking Peter, James, and John up to a hill and transforming himself in full deity in the voice of God speaking, pretty important. But the book of John doesn't tell that story at all. There's only three things found in all four Gospels that are the same. The feeding of the 5,000, the crucifixion, and the commissioning of Christ's disciples to go to the nations. All four Gospels. Then Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples. Matthew 28. Go into all the world and preach the good news, Mark 16, 15. Matthew 28, 18 through 20, Mark 16, 15, Luke 24. This is written, Christ will suffer, rise from the dead, but repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations. As the Father has sent me, so send I you. Forty times in the book of John, Jesus is referred to as the sent one. Forty times I was sent. For this purpose, for God to love the world that he sent, his only begotten son. Forty times Jesus is known as the sent one. On the 41st time the word is used, he looks at the disciples and he says, As the Father sent me, I am now sending you. The question is not, am I sent? If you're a follower of Christ, it's not, am I sent? It's to where are you sent? We're all sent ones. The problem is, we all, you know, sometimes we think we're just sent to sit in a pew. And that's just not how it is. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel, even with Paul. It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ is not known. So that I'm not be building on someone else's foundation. So let's recap. Genesis 1 through 11, introduction. One, one man, one woman, fill the earth, populate physically, they sin, God spreads them out. We go from one language to 70 in Genesis chapter 12. God reaches out to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, David, Solomon, the prophets, saying to them, I'm going to bless you to bless the nations. Jesus, the apostles, Peter, Paul, sent. It's my ambition to go to the nations, to use whatever resources God's given me. For some, that's actually you going. For others, it's you welcoming your, your neighbor at your work. You're, you're talking to your Muslim or Buddhist friend who works in a cubicle next to you. For some, it's giving above and beyond sacrificially to see this, this, this launch happen in Asia. For others, it's praying sacrificially, saying, man, I'm going to pray for more than just what I'm dealing with, but I'm going to pray for the news. I'm going to pray for these missionaries that our church sends out. For others, it's just raising the awareness, keeping this in front of the, the church body, your peers who might attend other churches, who might not understand God's story. But the conclusion, the conclusion is found in Revelation. They sang a new song, Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals, for you are slain and purchased men for God with your blood from almost every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. Man, we were so close. We almost did it. What God started in Genesis, we almost finished. It doesn't say that. See, God will get what He has decreed. He will receive worship 
there will be a representative from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. The question is, are you on board? Let me just finish with a quick story. So, when I first met Jessica, I thought, man, I really, I'm kind of the guy that I want to make sure first date that I'm supposed to marry this girl. Is that weird? Kind of a creeper. Um, But I just wanted to, man, I didn't want to, I wanted to let her know, hey, I'm serious here. You know, what's your name? Okay, I'm serious. You know, I'm a serious guy. So I took her to the spot that I thought would most shed light on if we are compatible, okay? I took her to the one spot on the planet that I knew I could see through her, see in her eyes to see, man, is this girl to be my wife? I took her to Starbucks. And we go in, and we sit down, and and I'm saying, hey, let's go order. So I go over first, and I get up to the counter, and I order my usual. Venti, non-fat, no-foam, sugar-free, pumpkin spice latte at room temperature, you know, double cup with no lid. I mean, it's just what I get. I want every box checked or I feel like a failure. Why do you laugh? So I suggest it's your turn. So she goes, so confusing, Venti. Grande, tall, macchiato. She's like, man, can I just have a uh, sippy cup of water? I was devastated. I mean, I sat down at the table and I said to her, Jessica, smokers date smokers. Coffee drinkers date coffee drinkers. If this is to work, you have to come towards me in this. So she, she's like, okay, you know. So we go back next time, she orders hot chocolate. We go back next time, she orders a half hot chocolate, half coffee. We go back next time, she orders a coffee with 17 sweet and lows. We go back next time, she orders coffee with four sweet and lows. And I remember the day Jessica looks at me. And she said, Todd, are you going to Starbucks? Bring me a venti black. And I said, yes, Lord, you reign. You are good. And all the time you are good. Why do I tell you that story? Because maybe, you know, you're in here this morning like Jessica. Before she met me, coffee wasn't even on her radar. It wasn't even a paradigm. But she's like, you know what? I'm starting to love this guy. I want to fall in love with the things he loves. And maybe you're in here and you're like, you know, Todd, missions evangelism, like going, that's not like people, I don't even like people, like that's not even on my radar. But you know what's on God's? And as you say, Lord, missions right now and my desire to, to see resources taken to Asia, whatever that may be, I have zero in me. But I know you want that. And as you get to know God, you begin to love the things he loves. You just, you have to let him give you that. And I did the same thing. Before I got married, I thought Bed Bath & Beyond was a hotel. Now I've got like a frequent buyer card. Why? Because it's like, man, I want to love the things my wife loves. I am excited to go into Yankee Candle. It it, it pumps me up when it's craft night at our house. You know, I'm like, yes. May the things that break God's heart break yours. Let me pray. And Lord, that's what we want. We want our story 
to not be our story. We want to trade up. But, Lord, we just sometimes we get so confused and we just can't separate the two. And I just ask that this morning you would allow your spirit to challenge and comfort, convict where, where, where the spirit needs to, Lord. And just that you would use the blessings you've given us, no matter what it is, to throw deep with the nations. We ask this in your son's name. Amen.